Should you buy your investment properties in your personal name or in a company name? We'll talk about that on today's episode. Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support for this show. On today's show, we're going to be talking to Cherry Chan, and we'll get to that interview in just a moment. But just wanted to give a quick disclaimer because Cherry is an accountant, and anytime we're talking about accounting or legal uh, things on the show, just want to give the quick disclaimer. You should always check with your own accountant, your own lawyer, and get your own independent advice before you make any legal or accounting decisions on what is right for you. But with that being said, let's jump right into the interview with Cherry Chan. Well, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show for the first time Cherry Chan. Cherry is a real estate accountant. And uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Great to have you here. Looking, hi. Looking forward to chatting with you and, and looking forward to hearing uh, some great insights into accounting and some of the common questions that investors have when it comes to account, accounting. Um, but first, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Help, help us to get to know you a little bit, um, who you are and how did you get started uh, you know, how did you get to where you are, perhaps, as a real estate accountant? Well, uh, it's a long story. It's about 35 years long. So um, I started as, um, I actually started back, way back when I um, first came to Canada. And we bought our, our family bought our very first home. And, um, and that's the part that, I guess that's the part of the inspiration that I got from my family, particularly my mother working really hard, leveraging, um, borrowing money, buying the first home. That's the Canadian dream. And so ever since then, I've always been inspired not to rent any places. And I started, once I graduated um, and ended my previous relationship, I moved out and I got my own place immediately without looking at the real estate market. And at the time I was, I was working, um, I had the experience working in a public accounting firm um, handling small business clients, and uh, but I didn't really know what real estate accounting was, accounting was. And I was trying to dig up more and more information and find that there were very, very little and limited information out there. Um, so as soon as I bought my first property, and after I met my husband, who introduced me to the world of investing, I found that it's really hard to find accounting, reliable accounting information out there. So I started thinking about going into helping people, sharing my idea and sharing my research. And that's how I really started as a real estate accountant. And I started writing my blog posts and delivering it. And over time, I have a follower, some following. Interesting. Yeah, that's great. So, so were you uh, were you an accountant before, and you sort of decide, okay, I'm going to specialize in real estate accounting and working with real estate investors? Oh, absolutely. I was in Waterloo. I was in the math accounting program. If there is any nerdier program you could find, it would be math accounting. Um, so, um, <laughs> yes, imagine Waterloo math too. So, I was in Waterloo math accounting. I graduated and got my CA charter accountant license, and now we all merge into uh, something called charter professional accountant CPA. And and then um, and after I got my first investment property, and that's when I started thinking, well, I wanted to share my research, and I don't want to just use my knowledge on myself. I want to make this a business, and that's how I started. 
That's great. So uh, you sort of, I guess, you moved from the corporate world and, and started your own business uh, with your own clients. Is, yeah, is that right? yeah. Well, um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had entrepreneurial spirit. Now that I look back, uh, my parents, uh, both, each of them would have their own individual business. Um, but at the time when I was working for corporate world, in the corporate world, I I found myself spending one third of my time having coffee with colleagues, one third of my time serving the internet, looking for properties. And then the other one third of time, of course, I still need to do some work. And that's that last third of the time. So I wasn't really happy there. And making the jump isn't really that difficult a situ- uh, decision. Yeah. Right, right. That That's great. You always had that instinct. And your husband, as you said, uh, we should mention as well, your husband is a real estate agent as well, working with um, investors as well. So, I mean, it's really the, uh, literally the perfect marriage <laughs> in that sense. Um, you guys make a dynamic, a dynamic team. Yes. We're a good team for sure. We're a good team. Um, so my, uh, my husband only works in the, in the Southern Ontario area. Um, the strategies are very different from what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, uh, your husband Irwin. He's uh, he, he does. A, my understanding, he does a lot of work in, uh, in the Hamilton market there. Um, so that's great. So uh, let's um, let's jump into sure. it here. I mean, the, probably the most common question, as I was as we were talking about before we started recording, one of the most common questions that I get, and you probably get as well, is the classic question of incorporation. Is it is it better to, to buy the pro- buy properties, investment properties as incorporation or in your personal name? Um, constantly being asked that question, I'm sure you are as well. And you've created an amazing PDF, which people can download on your website, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes for the episode. I encourage everybody to go check this PDF mm-hmm. out and get it. But uh, the title of the PDF is seven questions to ask yourself when deciding to incorporate. So you go over these seven questions. So I thought maybe it'd be good to just share uh, two or three, perhaps of the questions that the key questions to ask yourself um, when you're thinking about incorporating or not. Okay. So a couple of uh, key questions that I would consider that that's the top of my list, to be honest. Number one is whether you want legal protection. So um, we're, we're real estate investors. M- many people don't look at real estate investing as a business. It is still a business after all, and there is a lot of risk, um, a lot of risk involved. Um, I mean, even in the condo market, you would know that my, my father-in-law was actually talking to me about how like these board members were abusing the, the, the condo fund for their own purpose um, without proper documentation and who's liable to come up with the money in the condo board, um, short shortfall, it would be the condo owners. Even in the condo aspect, there would be a lot of um, a lot of risk that we cannot foresee. And legal uh, corporation is considered a separate legal entity in Canada, so it can be owned by itself and can be named in court by itself. So, if worst case scenario, you get into trouble. And you want to just shut it down. There is that option out there once you incorporate. But if it isn't in your own name, people can sue all your assets. That includes your primary residence. That includes your RSP, everything. So that's the number one thing. Number two thing is that um, 
the number two criteria that I look at is the um, I would say whether or not you're paying more than twenty percent tax. So if you are buying a property and you are selling, um, you are generating, um, you're earning rental income per se, not for flipping. If you are generating rental income, um, rental income inside a corporation is considered passive income, specified investment business income. That's the tax term. Uh, specified investment business income is taxed at 50% first, five zero. Now, all of that 50%, 30% would be refundable. Now, so if I take an example of $10,000 net rental income, $5,000 immediately goes to the government first. But then out of that $5,000, $3,000 sits in a notional account up in the air on CIA's record, on your own record, that they owe, to, owe it to you if you declare a taxable dividend. What it means is that the corporation will say, okay, well, I want to declare a dividend to my shareholder. And so we declare a dividend to the shareholder and we can trigger the refund of this $3,000 back. Now, the trick here is that then the shareholder would have to report that in their personal tax return, the dividend income. Now, so if someone who has no income receiving that dividend income, no, assuming that person has no other income, uh, receiving that right. dividend income, they can receive up to $35,000, dollars $35, tax-free. So when you pay $0 in your personal tax return and pay essentially because you pay 50%, you got 30% refund, you get 20% in the corporation, 20% plus the 0% in personal tax side combined, 20%. 20% yeah. total tax in that scenario yeah. is what you're saying. If, if you have, if you're able to uh, dividend out that money to somebody with no other income. Yeah, exactly. And some of my clients actually have still have a full-time job and they still incorporate. They, for some reason, they would treat this as their, their uh, future um, uh, retirement fund. So when they retire, when they decide to take a year off, that's when they declare the dividend out, declare out, and get the money back. Right, so the right. Balance okay. paid, sorry, balance okay. receivable from the CLA would be uh, refundable and carried forward forever. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Um, what else? I know you've, you've got other other questions as uh, well. One aspect of it is considerations. Right, you're right. One aspect of it is also the long term view. What you want to do with your portfolio. Um, so um, the um, the reality is that if you are planning to give your assets somehow to your um, to your uh, to your family uh, to your next generation, um, it we often use a strategy called asset freeze. So we freeze the value of your properties. And we all, during this process of doing asset freeze, we often would do it with inside using a, a corporation as a vehicle to give it to your next generation tax-free on a tax-free basis. Now to do it, you need to transfer the assets into a corporation. And if you think about it, if you own a condo downtown in Toronto, uh, say 500,000, um, you would have to pay probably about $20,000, $25,000 off land transfer tax. 
So when the transfer happened, if you own everything in your personal name and you want to do an estate freeze using a corporation, it is almost impossible because the cost of doing it is the land transfer tax. And in, in Toronto, you're paying double land transfer tax. So it makes the future estate planning really difficult and costly. Right. Okay. So um, you, what do you so recommend? In that to case, do? if your plan Instead. is to have a future, um, if you, your plan is to transfer your assets and leave your assets to your, um, to your sons, to your wife, oh, sorry, to, to your grandchildren, to your child, then maybe it is a good idea to start off leaving it in a corporation's thing. Yeah. Right, right. To start to, to have it in the, if you're, so if you're, if you're planning on uh, passing the property down to your children, your grandchildren, it's better, you're saying, to start it right from the beginning in a corporation as opposed to potentially putting it in a corporation later down the yeah, road. Absolutely. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah, and that's, uh, and that's obviously one of the, another common question is people who started out buying properties uh, in their person, in their own personal name, and they later want to um, want to switch it into a corporation name. What are other considerations, or what? How do you coach the people in the, that type of scenario? In that, what do you tell them in, the, well, in that situation? Uh, there are pros and cons. Uh, sorry, pros and cons of transferring the property into the corporation. The biggest biggest cost is really land transfer tax. Um, the ta the, there is a, an election that's available for us as a Canadian citizen to transfer the assets, uh, the property to the corporation on a tax-free basis. So there's no tax income tax being triggered, but you will, because the ownership of the property change, you will immediately incur the land transfer tax. Now, having said that, it's not uncommon for some of my clients to do the transfer to the corporation. Here is the reason why I can give you an example. Uh, one of my clients bought in years ago, um, bought a pro bought a lot of shares, and uh, they were in the market buying and selling, and they lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in the corporations. And the corporation is um, in the professional service type of business, so they don't have uh, the the sale of the shares trigger the capital gain. So when we transfer the assets into Sorry, um, the capital, the sale of the shares trigger the capital loss, and the capital loss would not be allowed to be applied against uh, regular business income. So, as a result, one of the way to utilize this unused capital loss is to transfer your asset into the corporation that has a huge gain that would have a huge gain if you sell it to a third party. We roll it into the corporation. Sell it to when we sell it to the third party, we will be able to utilize the capital loss carry forward. And even though we are triggering the land transfer tax, it is still worthwhile to do that. And, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. One of the one of the tricks of the trade, if uh, that makes sense. Now, what um, generally speaking, like when you're coaching people or people asking you this question about incorporation. What maybe describe the type of scenario or the type of uh, real estate investor where you would generally coach them to not incorporate? What what would that investor look like, or what would their uh, portfolio look like? I almost advise my clients to incorporate almost all the time, um, nine out of ten times. Um, but usually, for first time buyer, 
first-time investor or for the investor that are making likely under $60,000 to $70,000 and they have no concern whatsoever about the risk, I would tell them not there is no need to incorporate. Because first of all, right, you have right. to like, for the first-time investor, it's really simple for me. Um, you have to like being a landlord. And the, there is cause involved in setting up the corporation. And if you don't like being a landlord, um, what's the point? It's easy to sell the property and get it over with in your own name. But if you have to close up the corporation, you have to fit, wait for a couple of years and all that extra cost involved. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So it's sort of like some people get into real estate investing for the first time and uh, might buy their first property and they might decide it's not for them. Uh, so it, it may not make sense to set up that corporation and incur all. What kind of costs are, are involved with setting up corporations? So we usually help our clients set up the corporation and the cost is um, around $2,000. And we've seen a range um, that's being charged from $1,000 to three, $4,000. And I've seen a charge of $10,000. And um, I don't know what's reasonable and what's not reasonable, but um, that's typically the cost that you would have to account for and make sure that you don't set up all the infrastructure and you have, you're left with no money to invest. And then what are the ongoing costs if you have a, if you have it in a corporation versus so having it in So if person? you have it in a corporation, the annual filing of the corporation tax return is generally more expensive than the personal tax return. Um, usually it ranges from anywhere from 2000 to 3000 Sometimes it could be $4,000. Uh, but for a personal tax return, usually it starts off with two properties around 800 to $900. Um, and as you get more prop, uh, properties in your personal tax return, it gets more complicated and obviously the fees will go up as well. Right, right. So you've got ongoing fees to consider there mm-hmm. as well. Um, what, what are some, uh, thinking about first-time investors in particular, um, what are the most common mistakes that you see from a taxation, from an accounting standpoint, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see first-time investors making that maybe they come to you after the fact and you say, oh, you did this wrong or you should do, you should have done it this way or you're, you, you, uh, you, you could have done it differently? Actually, majority of the first-time investors are pretty good. The only thing that I've noticed is that if they don't use an accountant at all and do their personal tax return, and sometimes they would calculate the capital cost allowance in, uh, incorrectly. Because there's regular software that you can get off the street there. They don't they, the, the taxpayer has no idea what capital cost allowance is and how it is calculated. Um, that's why it could be easily messed up. Um, the second thing is that they would miss some of the deductions. Uh, for example, automobile expenses or, and home office expenses. Um, if you use less than 20% down, to purchase um, a property, or if you incur other finance charges, they are probably not deducting the finance charges properly. Right, right. Um, and speaking of CCA, capital cost allowances, you mentioned, maybe you could briefly touch on that, because you, as you mentioned, a lot of people don't know what that is or, or how to use it. So 
what is, you know, sort of in layman's terms, what is the CCA capital cost allowance? What do investors need to know what about it? And, and, uh, what is your general advice? So capital on cost allowance is basically the tax term for wear and tear. So CLA randomly pick a number, 4% um, on building. So when you buy a property, um, you would, the purchase cost, say $500,000, um, the purchase cost of the building is five hundred. dollars You add the closing cost and you can claim 4% a year as a wear and tear on the property against your net rental income. Now, when you use that, um, the, the challenge is that it is only a deferral mechanism. It's not, it is not a tax reduction. It's not a deduction. It's not a write-off per se. It is a deferral. It's kind of similar to what RSP, I always use this analogy. So the year that you earn the net rental income, you claim the capital cost allowance, you can reduce your capital cost, sorry, you you can reduce your net rental income to zero. And so you're not paying any tax on your net rental income. But um, the year that you sell your property, all the capital cost allowance that you've taken over the years, every single year has to be added up to your own income the year that you sell the property. And it is then being taxed the year of sale. Um, so similar to RSP, when you contribute, you don't have to pay tax on the chunk of money that you contributed. But then the year you take it out, you have to. So that's, I think that's the simplest way to explain what capital cost allowance is. Now, in terms of my take on capital cost allowance, it goes back to the individual taxpayer, to be honest. Um, I had a consultation with a, a client earlier last week, and he's making over $250,000 a year. And so the marginal tax rate on any income above, over and above 250000 is 54%. So whether you earn $200,000 over or $10,000 over, you're still paying 54%. So if you are at the highest marginal tax rate or close to the highest marginal tax rate, you're, to me, it's a no-brainer. You should take the capital cost allowance because... Yes, you have to pay tax eventually, but tax if you're paying tax on uh, the same amount 10 years down the road. So my, the dollar in your pocket today is worth a lot more than the dollar in your pocket 10 years from now. So definitely take the capital cost allowance. Now, but if you are really making no income at all, and for some clients that I have, they are living on... Um, they're living the dream. They only collect rent and they don't have any other income. Um, so right. would you take capital cost allowance? They don't have any other income. They may be adding twenty, thirty thousand dollars net rental income. So there is really no point taking capital cost allowance. Then it goes back to the personal preference. Do you want to pay the tax on the twenty, thirty thousand dollars rental income, or do you want to keep the cash now? And some of the clients actually would like to the cash and that's why they take it but some people are like well i have low enough tax rate it's not going to get any lower and i would not take it so i hope that answers your questions yeah right yeah no that's that's great really and as with a lot of these questions uh as you said it, it, a lot of it just comes down to the personal um to the person's situation and the yeah, answers are absolutely. different depending so, on your situation yeah, and and too, right it's so important, so important. 
yeah, preferences. And that's why it's just so important to have a professional uh, like yourself working alongside the investor to help them make these decisions because they are different for every person. Yeah. Um, maybe uh, just as a, a, another question to, to touch on something, one of your blog posts recently talking about capital gains versus income uh, and some of the CRA's recent um, rulings on particular condo assignments First, talking to the condo investors. Assignments are always a, a hot topic. So I know you've written about that recently. Maybe as a broader question, what is the difference sort of between ca- capital gain uh, and and just regular income? And how do you, as the investor, how do you know which one you're going to be paying? How is that? Okay, so um, to step back, um, let's talk about how what the difference is between capital gain versus income. Uh, capital gain, um, right. if you make a hundred thousand dollar profit, uh, if it is considered capital gain, only fifty thousand dollars would be taxable, and then you multiply the fifty thousand dollars with your marginal tax rate. Let's say fifty percent, you pay twenty five thousand dollar tax. Now, on the income side, if it is considered income, uh, the $100,000 profit is 100% taxable. So you multiply by your marginal tax rate, say the same 50%, and now you pay $50,000. So capital, you pay 50% of the tax. Income, you pay 100% of the tax. That's really where the difference is. Now, so as right. you can imagine, yeah. everyone wants to call themselves buying capital investment rather than running a business. Now, the CRA actually has a set of criteria that they consider um, that includes um, the taxpayer's profession, that includes looking at the taxpayer's intention, that also includes looking at the duration of ownership. Uh, Also, they look at um, uh, mortgage terms, a bunch of criteria that they look at in one particular transaction, and also in the history, the your life, what happened. So, um, for example, uh, today, this morning, I wrote a blog post about um, someone who uh, is actually a real estate agent, bought a property in her name, pre-construction condo, and sold it immediately within one month after closing. Um, she actually did not report the income at all, capital gain or or um, income, he, she never re- reported it. And so, yeah, that, that was wrong, number one. So CIA found out. And, and then they said, well, this is on the income account. And she appealed. And she said, no, this is on a capital account. I bought it for my granddaughter to go to Seneca College. And uh, but her, she said she claimed her intention was to buy it for her daughter, granddaughter to go to the college. But her behavior is actually not showing it, showing that way. Now, CIA actually look at her tax return, which shows only $20,000 net income. Uh, she's in, in no position to qualify for a mortgage to close the property to begin with. Now, CIA also look at her profession. And in the court case note, um, the judge actually quoted that she's been a real estate agent for 23 years. She's never lived in the property, but she should have the knowledge to know that she has to report the income. Now, uh, she also uh, it also notes that um, look at the financing uh, terms uh, arrangement. Um, so they look at the whole scenario all together. 
and then decide conclude your, your intention. And in this case, obviously they also look at the duration of ownership. Sorry, I forgot to mention that. But they look at the whole situation and say, hey, like this does not look like you're buying an investment and it really looks like you're really trying to make a quick profit. And that's considered uh, on the income account. And so 100% of the profit would be taxable. And in that particular court case, they also add in the gross negligence penalty, meaning that you did not report the tax, you intend report the income, you intentionally cheated on the tax return. Now, if you owe us $20,000, we are going to add $10,000 penalty on top of that. 50% of whatever you owe, that's right. the gross negligence wow. penalty. Um, very hard lesson for that uh, for that uh, real yeah. estate investor. What would you? I mean, if you were advising that that person before they made these decisions that led to that, like, what would you um, tell them? So right now, CLA is actually going after anyone that owns property, uh, particularly pre construction uh, houses or condos. Um, they've owned it for less than one year. Now, the definition of one year, right. as you know, you may know, you're really familiar of that the closing of a condo or a new home, new, newly constructed home, does not happen until a while after they let you move in, after the occupancy date. Now, right. yeah. the closing day and the sale day have to be more than one year. Now, one year is not a guideline. One year is not a rule written in the CIA's rule book. But if you own it for less than one year, it's just a low-hanging fruit for the CLA to come after you. They're going after the low-hanging fruit. Right. Now, right. secondly, if you um, have multiple, you flip multiple properties, they would use a second property as the evidence that you're in the business of trading uh, condos or newly constructed homes. And so that's um uh, that's right. also something that you need to look at. Not just the profession duration of ownership. It all it's also your behavior, your repetitive behavior that would also drive it. Now, if you are really doing flipping, you can put it inside a corporation. If you put it inside a corporation, selling and buying prop buying and flipping property, they consider business income reported as such. But you're, it's only subject to 15% tax in the corporation. 1%, 5%, So it's much better than, like, in this scenario, I always tell people, like, you should incorporate. Right. So uh, if you're flipping and you do it in a corporation, um, that's considered, business I guess, income. what, active income of the business income? Yes. As opposed rental to passive, would be considered passive. Uh, yeah. Rental income. So if it's if it's if you are if you are flipping if that is your your uh, business uh, model or your mo for for investing in condos and you're flipping then it actually does make more sense for sure to put it in, in a corporation uh, for that reason just only tax at fifteen percent and then you have then you're able to reinvest uh, those profits within the corporation yes is that I right? know <laughs> um, so our uh Really handsome Prime Minister Justin Trudeau came out with these proposed tax changes recently. Um, so they are the, the proposed tax changes. Um, Andrew, I, can I talk about this? 
Yeah. Okay. So the, yeah, the reason absolutely. that change yeah, actually targets small business owners. So if you have uh, a flipping business per se, they are really targeting you as well. So what they do is that they, if you make a hundred thousand dollars from a, from the sale of a property, uh, you report it in the corporation's name. You're only paying fifteen percent tax. So hundred thousand minus fifteen thousand dollar tax, you're left left with eighty five thousand. And you can easily take the $85,000 right. and go to uh, go somewhere and buy another property uh, for long-term buy and hold. Now, versus if you, the same investor, did not incorporate the same $100,000, even assuming that investor has no other income, that, uh, that $100,000 profit, you likely will be paying 30% tax. So... You're paying $30,000 to the government. Now your base is $70,000. If you incorporate, your base is $85,000. So they're really trying to target the people that are setting up the corporation and have net income left over for investment. So what they're saying right now is that they would only allow you to invest up to $50,000 a year. So even though you have $85,000 left over, you're really only allowed to invest the first $50,000. The remaining $35,000, if you do investment, that's fine. But that income that's generated from the $35,000, extra $35,000 is going to be subject to the highest tax rate, 50%. Now, we don't know how they're going to implement it. We have no idea. Um, They are going to come out with the, the rule in um, in the coming federal budget to announce to the world how they're going to implement it. The downside of that is that they are going to come out with a draft legislation. It's going to go through regardless, and we they will not listen to the accounting world or the general public feedback anymore. Yeah, yeah. So right, right. So this is uh, this is all happening in real time, and we'll have to certainly see how this plays out. But that's uh, that's a major change that we certainly, as investors, you need to be aware of things like this. And again, very important to have an accountant uh, as part of your team that is able to you know advise you on on these things in real yeah, time absolutely. as the changes are occurring. Um, but that does not deter you from incorporating. Um, I would still incorporate if you have uh, you flip properties. Um, chances are you are you can save the fifty thousand dollars and the remaining thirty five thousand dollars you're still reinvesting in your business and buying more property and flipping more. So um, I would still go into the corporation and save the fifty thousand dollars, save thirty percent or sometimes thirty five percent. Yeah. Right, right. You still advise that. Interesting. Great. Well. Uh, Cherry, really appreciate your time today so far. We've covered a lot of different subjects today. I really appreciate your insights. Um, and once again, if people want to get a hold of you or um, download in particular this uh, seven questions to ask yourself when deciding to incorporate this PDF that you've got. Uh, you can come to my website and my website is realestatetaxtips.ca. Yeah. realestatetaxtips.ca. Great. And of course, we'll include a link to that in the show notes. Thank you. Um, as well. Thank you so much, Cherry. Okay, and looking thank forward you so to much. hopefully having you again on the show soon. 
Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.